When the pandemic started almost two years ago, and I suddenly found myself on video screens a lot, I started to watch YouTube videos. I really hadn't watched YouTube much before then, but I started to because I wanted to see what those who had already been doing, what suddenly I found myself doing, I wanted to know how they did that and what do I need to be looking for. But I also started watching YouTube videos because how you look on screen is very different than how you look in person. I think mostly because now suddenly you can see yourself. And it turns out <laughs> that I'm just vain enough to care about such things. So I was watching makeup artists and hair professionals so that I could step up my game just a little bit. So one of the channels that I watched, and I continue to watch because it's just a fun escape, is by a man named Brad Mondo. Brad is a hair care professional, and he goes by, <clears throat> uh, he does videos of people like trying to color their own hair, particularly if they're bleaching, don't do it. And his motto, the vision for his line of products, for his brand, for his whole persona, is live your extra life. And as I was watching one of his reaction videos to one of America's Next Top Model's makeup makeover episodes, because, you know, who doesn't like a good ANTM makeover episode? I was also thinking about this sermon, and it occurred to me that the wedding at Cana is a story of living God's extra life. You see, here John invites us in this first of seven signs that will point us to who Jesus is to imagine a life of abundance, an overflowing, amazing wine kind of life in Jesus. And it doesn't escape me that the people who were hearing this story were either Jewish Christians experiencing persecution in Jerusalem or the Essenes who were known for their severe self-discipline and their abstention from all things considered indulgent. Neither group would be considered abundant. Those being persecuted would be hard-pressed to consider a life of abundance, and the ascetics would want nothing to do with it. The truth is, we as human beings are generally not wired to think abundance. Turns out, because our ancestors struggled for food, there was a really high value placed on food that contained salt, sugar, and fat, which were extremely rare. So even though food, and especially that kind of food, is really abundant for us now, our brains continue to crave that other kind of food as if it is scarce, and that spills over to other parts of our life. So we have become a no-wine kind of people. But this is where this story today comes in, because we are invited to imagine ourselves as a people of abundance. And it's not only, and the gospel writer uses Mary, the mother of God, for that invitation. Because it's Mary that comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. Now, this is the third day of a seven-day wedding celebration. And the sign of God's blessing is the ever-presence of free-flowing wine and abundance of food. So this wasn't a complaint or gossip on Mary's part. It's the utter trust in the one whom she has known her whole life, 
Because remember, this is the one who was the recipient of God's abundance and who then proclaimed God's abundance and what it would do in the world when she heard Elizabeth's prophecy. So here she is again to proclaim, they have no wine, but this is not what God intends. Mary notices that here at an ordinary wedding, the symbol of God's blessing appears to have run out. Mary is the one who notices and ponders things, right? So of course she would notice when the vision that she has given to the world can actually become a reality because she knows God's blessing does not run out. So she turns to her son, the chosen servant of God, speaking with full trust that God will hear and respond. And she says to Jesus, they have no wine. One of the things I find frustrating about the Gospel of John is Jesus sometimes, to me anyways, seems a little pompous. But that's because he is looking often far ahead into the future, to the cross. So he isn't always right there in the present moment, until he is, and then he's like fully in the present moment. But this is one of those times where he's focused on the future, I mean, I guess the argument can be made that he just wanted to have fun with his friends, but I think it was he's focused on the future and doesn't see this moment for what it is, the moment for his glory to be revealed. He doesn't seem quite ready for what all that will mean. But Mary persists. She has experienced some amazing things, and perhaps she's seen her son perform some of those things. So in trust... She instills trust in the servants when they, she says to them, do whatever he tells you. And in this moment, the mother, the faithful follower, invites others into a life of abundance and wonder. And it shouldn't be missed that in this moment, it is the servants who receive this invitation. Then the water is turned into the most fantastic wine, 750 bottles of it, if we were thinking in modern terms. And the steward is amazed at the generosity of the bridegroom. And Jesus' glory has been revealed. Not in the making of the wine, although that's pretty awesome, but in the creating and sustaining of the relationships present. By assuring that the honor of the groom's family remains intact, Jesus has revealed himself as light and savior. By doing it, creating the most amazing wine, gallons and gallons of it, we are reminded of who God is, a God of abundance and joy and wonder. Here at this ordinary wedding of friends, Jesus quietly loves, and in that action of love, his glory is revealed, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And what is that grace and truth in this moment, you may ask? It is nothing short of God's full love for humankind on display. The people who experience this moment firsthand won't know the fullness of this story until a few years later. But those servants, Jesus' disciples, they get a glimmer of the restoration Jesus is going to be about. John's audience, though, they know the end of the story. They can see this first sign projected ahead to the death and resurrection, which is the greatest display of God's abundant love. 
and so can we. Here in this space, we experience that love over and over again as we hear words of forgiveness, as we see water flowing over the heads of our children, as we eat and drink the bread and wine and remember the story of God's great love. Here we are, people wired for scarcity, reminded every week that we worship a God of abundance. But we live in a world where we see and know scarcity all around us. There is still war. There is still poverty and hunger. We still are struggling with a dying creation and polarization and fire and flood and death. We look around us and we see and maybe know that there is no wine. And it feels as if God's blessing has sometimes run out. In those moments, we remember Mary's faith. We remember that she saw what was going on and then went to the one who has promised to restore humankind and creation. So we too, we who see, we can trust our God to be about the work of restoration. But now it is Jesus turning to us and saying they have no wine. Are we ready to hear that? Are you ready? Am I ready? More often than not, we're looking at something else, perhaps in the future, perhaps the trouble's right in front of us, and so we say to the Spirit, not right now. But friends, Jesus looks around to those around us, in our communities, in our nation, in our world, and says, here is my church, those whom I have taught to love and forgive and trust. Here is where love dwells. That is our life, to be the love of Jesus in this world, to be about the business of restoration. So I would like you to just take this moment in this place where we know God's love the most and consider where you are seeing the appearance of God's blessing running out and how it is that God might be calling you to bring about some change there, even if it's just a little change that hardly anybody sees. And then hopefully you receive some paper as you came in. And if you did, or if you have some paper with you somewhere, write that down. I'm not going to ask you to share it with anybody. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in so that I can make sure you all do that. It's just for you to build some awareness. So take a moment, close your eyes, and ask God some questions.
I invite you to carry the question of where you are seeing the apparent running out of God's blessing and how God is calling you to bring about change there into this week, that it may shape your own week and your own life of faith. Living God's best life doesn't mean that we just get to rest and eat bonbons. Instead, it means that we live in the truth of God's love and grace of God's forgiveness as we go about the world turning water into wine so that communities and relationships may be restored. We have a lot of work to do, friends. It is true. But here is where it begins, at the waters of baptism, at the table of grace, among the people of God, where we are encouraged and strengthened and inspired for the work in front of us. Amen.